This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's up guys? It's another episode of A Fistful of Collars, back again, once again, in the Flowgraphing studio, and whoa, once again we're blessed with another special guest star. Joining us this week is Jiu-Jitsu analyst, commentator extraordinaire, Mendes Brothers Black Belt, and all-around great guy, Ricardo Amendolia. What's up? The voice. The voice. The golden voice. Yeah, the voice. (laughs) First time we've ever had you in the Flowgraphing studio. Yeah, this is awesome. Can't believe it took so long, to be honest. It's but. a little too long, I have to say. But uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. I mean, it's like a legit studio. I used to work <laughs> in the Fight Network in Canada. It's like the same thing. This is awesome. So excited. Taking it to the next level, man. That's what we do here at Flow Grappling. Yeah. Joined, as always, by Will Safford, Reed Connell, myself, Howell Teague. Going to be going through all the hot topics in jiu-jitsu, talking about uh, various things. And uh, going to be asking you about some areas of your expertise, Ricardo, because uh, you're from north of the border. Yeah, I'm uh, Canadian, eh? What? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the United Nations in here, man. That's right, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, Jiu-Jitsu in Canada. Um, tell us, man, what's going on there at the moment? Because, you know, we see a little bit and we see some guys on the scene, but how are things up there? Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the competition scene's growing. It's been growing, like, you know, over the last few years, like, tremendously. Um, the thing with Canada, we had, like, a little bit of a setback, some of the legalization. I'm sure, you know, we kind of chatted about that before specifically in this uh, province of Ontario and Quebec. All right, so I think you need to break this down a bit for yeah. us because we kind of, we all have this idea that there was some legal issues, but I mean, like, what's going on? Is it still outlawed? You guys have got marijuana, but you don't have jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Are you well, allowed what, to do jiu-jitsu in Canada? What's, <laughs> what's legalized exactly? <laughs> I mean, it, it just heel hooks are banned. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's legal. Everything's good now. Tournaments are back on. There was uh, some... It was just because it's an amateur sport, it had to get reapplied through the governing body and, and there had to be appointed sanctioned bodies to approve it. A little bit of controversy over who was taking that over, as there always is, got a little political, but it's it's back on. Um, the scene's growing. It's, you know, we got guys competing all over the world now, big names that, you know, we even see on flow grappling streams all the time now. Mm-hmm. We're just talking like guys like Florzak from Canada. Yeah, well, who, who stands out for you? Uh, Canadian jiu-jitsu competitors and, and notable names. Dante. Who stands out for you guys? Dante Leon. Dante not not Leon, Dante Leon. Of course. For sure. GFT. I, I like to say Cameron Florsack because I like watching Cameron. He's a brown belt, up-and-comer. He's Henzo Gracie guy. Yep. Uh, where is he? He's in Ontario? He's from, uh, yeah, he's from Henzo Gracie, Ottawa. Pat Hogan is uh, awesome. That's big right. school there. Yeah, yeah. And like uh, Dante's really from cool. GF Team, right? And another GF Team guy, Jake McKenzie. Jake McKenzie. Uh, and I think, I, I don't know about you guys, but like Dante and Jake... I think a lot of people forget they're Canadian almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Jake, I saw him in Brazil when I saw you back in like 2013. And he actually opened up a school in Rio or something for a small time. He did, yeah. He was one yeah. of the first Canadians to do that. And he's been wow. like doing amazing. He was one of the only guys to get silver at the Abu Dhabi World Pro in jiu-jitsu history. So. Well, we see we see these guys leaving Canada to, to go to bigger schools that are outside of Canada, right? Do you think we'll ever see 
some of the big names going to Canada to start school? I mean, it's it's tough. Like, there's the, the academies are growing in Canada. So, like, I'll give you an example. Like, just where I'm from, Toronto BGJ is probably one of the biggest, most competitive schools, you know. Um, it, the black belt scene, that's what needs to be cultivated mm. in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, there's not a big, you know, black belt competition scene. So, you there's nothing, you know what I mean? Like, it's not so appealing. Maybe it's the weather. Black- yeah, I think it's the weather. I think it's the weather. It's not that Brazilian. Yeah, nice. It's not, it's not San Diego. Yeah, it's from, not San so. Diego. And what about um, Canadians kind of like going out and competing there? And we were talking a little bit there. But uh, how soon do you think we'll see those guys kind of chipping away at the, you know, the dominance between the Brazilians? And, and will we see a Canadian world champion like we've seen recently with the American world champions? I, I think so. I think that we're right there. I think, you know, guys like Jake... Um, girls like Alison Tremblay, uh, you know, Yacinta, again, from, uh, I think she's in Toronto BJ now, but, like, there's people that are, they're just there. Like, Alison Tremblay, in my opinion, like, I think she's, like, a two-time uh, silver medalist at Worlds, you know, so. She's, so maybe she's, then a little bit more potential in the women's divisions. I, I think so. Ah, yeah. that's interesting to know. Yeah. Really cool. Jiu-Jitsu exploding around the world, but sometimes we do forget about Canada, to be honest. I, I do forget about it sometimes. It doesn't seem like it's, it's, is it true? It doesn't seem like to me that it's, that it's bursting like everywhere else. I mean, it, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's growing. I feel like it's growing as, as uh, participants and school base, but the scene is kind of, you know, it's, it may have plateaued a bit. But the, M- the MMA scene is pretty big in Canada, right? The MMA scene was huge, but it kind of plateaued a bit, mm. you know, because there's not as many UFCs coming to Canada anymore. And a lot of the other MMA organizations basically folded, so you can't cultivate the scene that way without events. Well, a couple of good Canadians as well. That, again, I think people forget that they're Canadians because um, you mentioned the MMA thing and they just kind of, you know, uh, inspired that thought in my mind is the the TriStar guys, yeah. Ethan Krellenstein and um, uh, Oliver Taza, right? Yeah. They're, they're competing out of, yeah. uh, out of Fira Sahabi school, but now training uh, extensively with the Danaher guys there at Hensel Graces in New York. And um, I mean, those guys are doing great, right? Brown belts currently still? Yeah, but that, that's like exactly what I was talking about earlier. Like those guys were fighting, representing Canada at ADCC and like Canadian Jiu-Jitsu media just like ignored it. Like they didn't do anything about it. Like there's no talk in like the Canadian forums about these guys blowing them up. There's more talk on Reddit, you know, talking about mm. Ethan's crazy uh, Kimura break or something right. like that. But you know what I mean? Like it's... You like to see a little bit more support from yeah. the locals then? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Get behind yeah. your own? They're focusing more on like you know, building their own tournaments and, like, building up their schools, which is great. It's necessary, but there needs to be more of a media presence and more building the athletes and stars. Like, years ago, guys like Mark Bocek, you know, were competing mm. regularly. Mm. Carlos Newton on the scene. And they were international stars. competing as, as well. Yeah, Hominick, mm. all competing in our regular tournaments. And now it's like, I couldn't tell you a lot of the black belts that compete gotcha. anymore. If, gotcha. we, if we put jiu-jitsu in a hockey rink, do you think it would bring out more people? <laughs> There's an idea. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Problem solved. What do your kids train? <laughs> jiu-jitsu or hockey? <laughs> Man, my kids train jiu-jitsu and they play soccer. Ah, there, there you, you know, go. You keeping them off the ice? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I wasn't born into a hockey family. Like, my cousins played. My brother's not really into it. But my parents are Italian, my wife's Brazilian, so my kids are jiu-jitsu and soccer. That's it. <laughs> Not very technically cool. Canadian. Got yeah, it. Got it. <laughs> so uh, from jiu-jitsu in Canada to jiu-jitsu around the whole world, it is the beginning very soon of the brand new Abu Dhabi Grand Slam season. That is the five tournaments around the world that culminate in the World Pro in April next year. 
beginning just a one month out from now with the Grand Slam in Tokyo. After Tokyo, the Grand Slam Tour will hit up Los Angeles, Rio de Janeiro, Abu Dhabi, quick stop, London, and then finishing the season, as we said, with the World Pro in Abu Dhabi. So Tokyo event coming up soon. Um, Ricardo, you've uh, you've been to quite a lot of the Grand Slam events around the world, the World Pro a bunch of times. So what, what, what can you expect from the Tokyo Grand Slam coming up soon? I mean... As a competitor, I don't understand why you wouldn't be hitting up all the Grand Slams, you know, not just for the professionalism of the event, which we know, but for the cash prizes, the ranking, you know, just, it's like, if you tell your parents that you go, you know, compete in jiu-jitsu and they come into a local tournament and they like see this high school gym, there's nothing Mm -hmm. to eat, stinky, all these people yelling and stuff like that, but you take them to a Grand Slam event and it's classy, it's so professional, fighters get paid. Um, you know, they get ranked. It's just a whole other level, I feel like, in jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, aside from the fantastic matchups that we're starting to see develop in the, in the brackets, man, every Grand Slam is awesome. Tokyo, yeah. I want to go to Tokyo. I've never been. I'm not going to go this year, maybe Rio, but, man, this, it's like every Grand Slam is a must. I, w- I would echo that. The one thing that I really like about the UAE is their production value. Like, they have this it's incredible. camera that's over the, the, the mats. You're getting all these awesome angles. They really just pull out all the stops for their events. Plus, like you said, you're getting paid. You know, even blue belts, blue through through black. You know, if you if you get on that podium... You're cash taking some cash. Plus, you get to see the world. And, then, you know, the, the the Grand Slam, the, the format of the event is identical at every location they go to. And it really is. It's like a scaled-down version of their world championships, right? It's so professional-looking, the, the behind-the-scenes and everything. Um, yeah, great format. I'm particularly looking forward to it for a number of reasons. You mentioned things like the cash prizes and stuff. But, um, you know, as a spectator on the outside, uh, the things that I really like are the fact that, hey, it has six-minute matches. I'm yes. a huge fan of six-minute <clears throat> matches. I like the fact that they have the repechage system. So if a guy loses, they go back into like a second bracket and fight for third place. So, you know, a guy doesn't go so mm-hmm. well, you know, he could potentially redeem himself and go through. And um, another thing I like the fact as well is that it offers a completely different set of faces, right? right. And the Grand Slam series, the kind of you see um, these guys kind of traveling around, like you said, and, and hitting up the different spots and, um, and kind of following that race towards the rankings at the end of the season. And I mean, remind me, what was the ranking prize for the black belt, male black belt last 20, year? 25 grand. $25,000 for the number one black belt male last year. And Igor Silva got that prize in addition to all the cash that he'd won at the various Grand Slams that he competed at as well, right? Yeah. And they're offering rankings for, if you're the number one ranked guy in the world, you get 25 grand. If you're the number one ranked guy from North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Oceania, which is Australia, then again, you get another cash bonus. I think it was five grand for the top ranked guy in each of those locations. So sometimes guys like, um, let's say Lachlan Giles, who, you know, kind of participated and gained ranking points through various events, but he never hit the podium in any of the major tournaments, still got five grand, you know? That's right. Goes a long way to help being a professional competitor, right? Yeah, no, talking about the cash prizes, I did the LA Grand Slam a couple of years ago, and I remember I, I lost in the finals uh, to um, Adam Bradley I, I went hmm. back when we were blue belts, and um, I was super down that I lost, and then they handed me an envelope with three crisp $100 bills, and so I wasn't that down anymore about losing. It's, you know, it's a good way to, to cheer yourself back up. That's great, man. It, it really is. And one thing I was going to say, like, you know, you talk about the cash prizes as well. If you're, let's look at it this way. Last year, if you are a black belt, and let's say you do, what was it, five Grand Slams. Yeah. So what's a, what's a, the grand prize money for uh, the 2500 for okay. number one black belt, yeah. So you, you win every Grand Slam. Okay, and let's say you were eligible for King of the Mats, 
and you know the huge payout there. And let's say you did World Pro, huge payout there. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we estimated that um, <clears throat> you know guys like Gabriel Souza, the brown belt, he's black belt now from ZR team, but he was a brown belt and he won. Um, he won his division and he took second in the global rankings as a brown belt. He got eleven grand. Wow. wow. That's amazing. Yeah, you can make like you know? a legit salary doing the UAE events. Yeah. The problem is if you don't have the sponsors who are going to send you out there. So I think a lot of guys run into that. But you can also earn your way to at least the World Pro. Right? Yeah. They pay they pay athletes ways to. That is true. To yeah. There. Qualifying athletes who who get points throughout the season, they uh, they do get travel packages as well to go to Abu Dhabi to compete and. Um, you know, I think that's something that all grapplers should aspire to as well, you know? Right. All grapplers should aspire to compete in the World Championships in Long Beach. Everybody should also aspire to have another goal to compete in Abu Dhabi at the World Pro because it's just they're, they're both very distinct experiences, both extremely valuable, but very different as well, right? So One thing yeah. you, got, you forgot to mention, no closeouts. Oh, I like love that. That's true. Yeah, love that's that. a good part. Of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I love that. I think that that's huge. And also, I like the fact that the World Pro, you know, you're representing your country. It's not about... Yeah. You know, not about the teams. It's not about the teams. It's right. about, you know, seeing four different flags on the podium. You know, I remember speaking to some of the organizers there. And, you know, that's really important in the, in the eyes of, like, the International Olympic Committee right. and so forth. So you don't want to see a podium with four Brazilian flags. Nothing against Brazilians, sorry, but uh, you know what I mean. Like that's that's what happens. Yeah, right? you know, right. you want a world championship in any other sport. World championships means you know fair chance for every world to have people to go into it. So I love that. Yeah, and looking at the registrations for the Tokyo Grand Slam as well, uh, there are some already some big names coming in. We've got guys like uh, Joao Gabriel Rocha. We've got. Um, Got guys like Gutenberg Pereira, um, obviously a lot of the Japanese uh, participants like um, Tomoyuki Hashimoto, who was competing in the Worlds there in the Roosterweight. Uh, Gabriel Souza is going to make his black belt uh, um, UAE JJF debut. Uh, just a, a bunch of really good guys, and uh, and you know also there in the black belt women's divisions as well. You got like Bianca Basilio, who did great at World Pro. She was a champion there in April, yeah. so. I think it's um yeah it's, it's shaping up to be an exciting tournament. I'm looking forward to that. So. And, and we're pretty far out, so there's going to be a, a lot more. We're still a yeah, month out. There's going to be Kain a lot. Kind they signed up as well. That's Sorry, right? No, no, no. There's going to be a lot more high level black belts signing up, so it's definitely going to be watching that one for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, from Tokyo and the competition scene, let's take a little um, let's take a little bit of a, a different path here because. We focus a lot on the sport of jiu-jitsu and we focus a lot on the tournaments, but of course, jiu-jitsu is a martial art practiced by many, by you know, if probably tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And um, even the athletes, they're not always superhuman. You know, these guys are able to do incredible things on the mats and uh, they're definitely you know, examples of athleticism for us and, and skill and all those amazing qualities that we look for in our, you know, our role models. But like I said, they're human and they deal with the same stuff that a lot of us do. And I thought it was really interesting that this week you know, we ran a piece on the site um, having talked with a four-time world champion, IBJJF world champion, Dominica. Uh, I always murder her surname, so uh, excuse me, Obilente. Uh, Dominica is a four-time black belt world champ, two-time weight, two-time absolute in IBJJF. And... Um, she opened up about her struggles, shall we say. So, um, who wants to who wants to describe? Yeah, I was definitely wondering where where Dominique had been. You know, she in, in 2015, 2016, she was so dominant. You know, I believe both those years she she won double, double gold, gold at, yep. at the world championships. 
um, you know, was kind of the next um, the next big thing. It felt like the next m dominant champion in the absolute divisions and, and her divisions. And then we didn't see her in 2017, really at all. And then we didn't see her at all in 2018. So certainly kind of wondering, um, you know, what was going on, wh wh where she was. And, and then to, yeah, to read... Um, to read her article that, that or her uh, Instagram post that says that she's been you know dealing with a lot of internal things and anxiety and, and um, depression and things like that you know I definitely have to tip tip your cap to somebody like that who, who's able to to um, you know express those things in such a public way and, and you know she has a lot of followers and, and she's a, a high level black belt so definitely respect to her for, for coming out and, and publicly dealing with some of those issues, I know that can be extremely, extremely hard. So yeah, because some people might say that, you know, oh, social media is not the place to air your personal business. But at the same time, I think the position that she has in the in the sport, that, um, that by opening up like that, it's quite a brave move because she really has the ability to connect with other people who could be in the same position, right? Well, especially yeah. to, to think, like, I wonder... If if her depression, her, her these things that she's talking about are holding her back from from being the greatest women competitor ever, you know that's something that like Dominique could could, could have potentially or still can potentially like grab because she has so many gold medals already, and to think she's that still that, so young, that, yeah, and to think that something like depression is kind of holding her back for, from from such greatness, that's that's tough. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's rough. I think we do you know we do a good job of highlighting the hard work that goes into being a, a professional jujitsu fighter, right? And we see all the, the glory, the gold medals, you know, when you're at a, a competition, all the fun aspect of it. But what we don't see is the hours of training and beating up your body, sacrificing your body. And, and uh, many of these competitors have been doing this since they were little kids. Yeah. You know, so you can easily burn out. And I think you have, there's, a, there's pressure that you don't only put on yourself, but now everything is in social media, right? So you have, like, this image to uphold. And if you're constantly losing or you're just not living up to expectations, I think it can, it can definitely take its toll. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, for somebody who maybe competed with high expectations upon her as well, I think that can, that can, that can mess things up as well. And somebody else who, um, who opened up about exactly the same issue, about dealing with depression and then seeking out help and actually um, kind of hit, you know, managing to turn around her career as a result was Tammy Musumeci. Mm. And in 2015, um, we'll link it in the show notes, but in 2015, uh, Tammy wrote an amazing article for us detailing just, this is immediately after she won Nogi Worlds, by the way. November 2015, she beat Mackenzie Dern in the final. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Mackenzie was the uh, ADCC champ and stuff. You know, it was, it, was, it was incredible, you know. Tammy had this great performance. But she said that actually, um, up until that point, she had been really, really struggling with her jiu-jitsu. And a lot of it was because of the internal battles. She had maybe, she'd had some big losses, you know, there were high expectations upon herself, external, you know, pressure, and it all just became too much. Mm. And, you know, she went out, she got help for it, and look what she managed to do as a result. Yeah, it's a good point that, that like, you know, these guys, when they win, it's, it's such elation, right? It's such, you, it's such a high, high when you win. But, yeah, the other side of the coin is, is that when things don't go your way, when you put your life into these things and you put day after day into, into this stuff and then you go out there and lose, that can be such a low, low. Brutal. And then think if it's loss after loss after loss, you know, and you're, you're not getting to that, that pinnacle. You never, you never touch the top, you know, mm -hmm. that could. And like you said, you're sacrificing everything. You're giving up your whole life to do this. That's... That's got to be very tough to deal with. And, and I think, like, 
you know, looking at the competitors themselves, they all deal with competition a different way. You see some competitors come on the mat, they pray. Some competitors are rocking, they're laughing, you know what I mean? So everyone has a different way of dealing with the competition jitters and the stress yeah. and everything. And you look at Tammy's case, she was thrown right into the mix. Like when she got her black belt, she was already fighting with the McKenzie's, with the Michelle Nicolini's. Like, so her career, it didn't like progress four years to get to the highest level. She mm. started fighting at the highest level. So that's a lot of pressure. And, you know, like we, we spoke about, she had some issues internally, but she overcame it. So props to her and look forward to seeing her competing again. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think when it, when it, when it comes to the, the sporting side of things, you know, people place a lot of emphasis upon uh, training the technique, you know, getting faster, stronger, you know, more endurance, training their strength conditioning, just as they would their, their jujitsu technique. But how many of them are actively training their mind. Mm -hmm. And there are a few people out there offering this kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's Gustavo Dantas, the BJJ mental coach, right? Yep. He's, and, great. Um, He's great. He did a lot of work with Espen Matissen, right? No, That's true. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit, because you spent some time with Espen in Norway, and he talked a little bit about his mental training too, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, he definitely did. Espen, I think, especially, and Tommy, they, they seem to be like a, a steel trap when it comes to to um, the, the competition side, you're not going to break those dudes. But and yeah, I'm not sure they exactly had to do with with Gustavo. I know Jose Carlos um, was one of their coaches as well. But it, we've been to Gustavo Dantes's, and uh, I've read his his book. Um, you know, starting I believe it's like starting competition after 30 mm -hmm. um, or something like that. And um, I think he's he's really good at just at just being like you know you have to know what you want. You know, you have to know what you want and you have to know how to how to get there to achieve it. So I think he's really about, you know, writing these things down or, or you know, making goals for yourself and making sure that you know what your plan is and, th and things like that. And I think that just goes a long way, you know, because a lot of times, you know, I hear people say, ah, I, n I never warm up or I just go out there and I just f figure it out or something mm -hmm. like that. But I think, you know, when you can when you can be confident in your mind right. first, then the confidence can come onto the mat. I remember in uh, after Espen won the UAE Grand, no, it was the World Pro this year. He yep. said that he visioned, envisioned that. You know, he envisioned winning. He even envisioned talking to you in an interview after he won. So wow. Right? Wow. He yeah. used his visualization to really see him achieve his goals and then attain them. Yeah, he's, that's what he's got to know yeah. But then um, there is the, the kind of that mental side of things, you know, to, to, to strengthen the mind um, can really, you know, it's, it's an attribute just like any other part, right? And um, I think sometimes maybe the, the, the Western kind of uh, style of training martial arts places so much emphasis on the physical, it does forget that there is the, the kind of the spiritual side of martial mm -hmm. arts as well, right? And I think a lot of us have moved away from that kind of stuff because we see it as a little bit kind of woo-woo, right? It's kind of like, you know... I don't train jujitsu to, you know, for, to become a, you know, more spiritual. I train it because it's like an athletic pursuit, right? And I think that is true for the majority of people. But in Japanese martial arts, not just, you know, judo, jujitsu, but all of them, there exists this concept of budo, right? And it's kind of like the sort of the Japanese warrior kind of holistic sort of system. And it's there is a concept in that called uh, it's three concepts. It's called shin, gi, and tai. And I'll just make sure I get this right. But um, the gi is skill, the tai is body, and the shin is mind. Mm. And it, it is true that you need to have all those three things working in unison to be a great competitor or even just to be a balanced jiu-jitsu practitioner. Because I'm sure that we can all think of just examples, you know, people we know from the competition scene or just training partners, that maybe they've got 
one or two of those attributes, but they're lacking in the other, and it holds them back. If, you know, and I'm certain I could say the same thing for myself. You know, that if I if I were to neglect one of those three things, I wouldn't be as complete as I possibly could be. So. Well, one of the reasons why I love jiu-jitsu so much is it really is a form of meditation for me, and I'm, I'm sure for everybody else, too. But uh, I, I love going onto the mats. It's, it's one of the, the times where I can just let everything else go. I don't have to think about, oh, what do I have to do tomorrow, or oh, what do I have to, where do I go next week, or something like that. You know, all of those things wash away, and I just have to worry about the guy who's in front of me trying to choke me unconscious. You know, <laughs> like that's, thing, that's the yeah. only yeah. thing I, I have to focus on, and, and it makes you so present. You know, it's one of the reasons why I was so disappointed to hear about uh, Anthony Bourdain, you know, it's like, I feel like jujitsu has helped me so much, my, you know, just mentally, it's helped me so much just, you know, day to day and things like that, so I, that's why I was so disappointed to, to hear, um, mm. you know, somebody, it felt like Anthony Bourdain found jujitsu, and, and it felt like that was something that was, like, really positive in his life, and then... Um, well, we'll come to that in just a second, but it, it's interesting, isn't it, that you mentioned about how jujitsu is this positive thing in your life, and it is that time that you go in and you can't forget about all your problems. But I guess for some people, and you know, Tammy and Dominica were great examples who, who, who openly said that, that unfortunately, it became the time when they couldn't get away from their problems. If anything, it caused more problems. And I think that's sad. And I don't know about you guys, but have you ever been there, Ricardo? Have you ever, have you ever gone to the gym looking for that escape, like, like Reed's talking about, that we all look for, but unfortunately being met with something else instead? Yeah, I think, you know, my biggest thing is when I train, that's exactly what he was, Reed was saying, is I try to just escape everything. And I, if I have an issue in my head, it's like I know oh, once the class is done, I will totally have forgot what my problem was. But, yeah, it happens. You get there and maybe, you know, your half guard isn't working the right way. And then all of a sudden you start accumulating more problems. That's when you, have, you sit out around, take a deep breath, relax, go back in it again. And I think you just got to keep grinding. You just got to keep fighting through it. And jiu-jitsu, much like any other sports, it's just the, the hard work and dedication helps you with life. You know, you just got to keep pursuing, keep pushing through. Some people can give up and others can't. It's hard, but you just got to keep doing it, you know. Injuries don't help, right? You get, you get like a serious injury. Yeah. It, can, it can take the fun out of things as well. But you can also yeah. adapt to it. You know what I mean? As in life. Like, like, my, like I was telling you guys, like I have no ACL on my knee. It sucks. I, I come from a school. We do Delaheva guard. You know, all this crazy bamboo stuff. I can't do it because my, my one leg that I need to do it doesn't work. So, got to tap to those heel hooks, man. Yeah. <laughs> but my half guard game in the last couple of years since this happened, you know, I took a, a negative and turned it into a positive. I feel like I've progressed my half guard. So... You know, like I said, just in life, you got to take the good with the bad. You know? Yeah. Well, I think uh, that, that is exactly what Dominica said as well that she's done is that she took that step away from the competition scene because it wasn't healthy for her at the time. And really uh, looking to, to, to rediscover the love that she always had for jiu-jitsu. And I think, you know, that's important to remember, isn't it? Though, hey, why are we doing it if it's not for fun? You know, We're, none of us are getting like, you know, paid to be professional athletes. If you're not having fun, and you're not enjoying it, then, you know, you don't need to put yourself through the grind. So, you know, I guess uh, just making sure you know how to how to enjoy it. That's the, that's the key. Yeah, I mean, you burn out. And like we said earlier, like, look at look at guys like Hoffa and Guy. You know, mm. they were doing it since they were kids, mm -hmm. two, two days every day. And then when they got older, Added, you know, physical training, conditioning, and stuff like that. So it's three sessions a day, every single day. You know, that's a long period of your life to yeah. be doing that. And then at the black belt level, competing for so long, almost 10 years, you can't blame them for taking a break. For sure. You know I, think, I, mean? I think it's a balance, you know, just like many of us get into jiu-jitsu to balance out an aspect of our life. You know, we're lacking the physical or whatever. 
Um, but if you go too far into jujitsu and you're you're not balancing out your life with the social activities or getting time away from the mat, then just the opposite can happen. Yeah. So but find I'd that balance. I'd love to talk to Dominique here or, or some other people uh, about the subject. I know Aaron Hurley there is, is somebody who's who's constantly pushing uh, pushing this this issue with her. Submit the Stigma organization. So looking to um, raise awareness of mental health within jujitsu, right? And um, so let, let's let's talk about what you mentioned there. You mentioned a, a very well-known name in jujitsu circles, mm. Anthony Bourdain, and um, it's not a topic that we've touched on the show as yet. Obviously, we ran an article when the news broke, but um, it was actually 20 days ago today that uh, it was announced that Anthony Bourdain that took his own life. And um, I think, you know, safe to say it was a shock, right, for all of us, you know, especially so many of us who looked up to him as, as a great ambassador for the sport. And he was a great ambassador because he mm -hmm. was so passionate about jiu-jitsu. And, um, you know, he, he made a point of including it on his extremely mm. popular TV shows. It was all over his Instagram. And, and he was uh, able to reach a whole new sort of uh, audience with that. And... Um, you know, it was uh, it was a kind of it was some shocking news, right? You got the bug, right? That's like we all yeah. obviously, we all yeah, obviously exactly. caught the bug, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you guys watching, if you're watching, you caught the bug too. <laughs> but like just to see somebody at the you know one of the best chefs in the world and has has the show, and to see somebody like catch the bug like we all did with with jujitsu, it's like ah, but that's that, awesome. That, that he was one of us too. Yeah, you know, yeah. he he didn't yeah. come into it with like a young body. Like I started when I was 25. I was good to go. So I, once I saw that, I was like, I told my dad. My dad's in his 60s. He's like, man, you got to see Anthony Bourdain. He's on the mats. We got to get you out there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, total inspiration. And, and you know, he, the way he did it is kind of the other way around of how we visualize maybe the stars in our sport. Like, let's let me take that back for a sec. We think like maybe the world champion in our you know culture of jujitsu. We're like, man, the Bushesha's. They should be known worldwide. Mm -hmm. But a guy like Bushesha may not have that fame that Anthony Bourdain did, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Bouchesha in the, our culture is the biggest ambassador for jiu-jitsu, but then you have an older guy as a white belt who is actually the biggest ambassador yeah. of jiu-jitsu. So it's kind of like a, you know, bizarro world effect yeah. here. But, but awesome at the same time because, yeah. you know, he, he, really, he really did have a love for it, right? He, it was amazing about how he used to seek out places to train, like, daily, mm -hmm. like, where, wherever he was in the world, and he had some great stories about training in, like, disused like missile shelters in you know former soviet countries or hole in the wall gyms yeah, yeah see every amazing. time i see that i'm like anthony bourdain gets it you know? <laughs> he gets it yeah. like you gotta train you gotta train yeah. and, and so I, sorry, you know, no i mean you know when the when the news came that uh he'd taken his own life obviously that was a uh, that was a big shock and it, and it, it again it kind of goes on with what we're saying there about um, mental health issues and jujitsu, and the jujitsu is not an automatic cure for these things, right? I think that's what you were kind of saying a little bit there, Reed, right? Certainly, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know um, Anthony Bourdain's case, what he what he was dealing with. He's clearly dealing dealing with, with something, um, but uh, yeah, I, I just was saying that it's sad that like I felt like we, that like I had a, I felt camaraderie with him that we could that we had jujitsu, right? And honestly, I did feel like one day. Possibly our paths would cross. I know you, you've you've met I Anthony did, yeah. at, Very at nice Enzo's guy. before, so I was thinking that one day I'd be able to share jiu-jitsu with with him. But um, yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately not. What was it like when, when you guys uh, when you rolled up at Henzo's and he was there? I mean, uh, I was kind of you know I had my fingers crossed. I was like you know you never know where he was going to be in the world, right? Because he yeah, traveled yeah. so much, but. Um, I'd been going back and forth. I think in the space of like 12 months, I was in New York like five, six times for various reasons. 
And every time I went to Henzo's for the morning class, and I was like, I wonder if he's here today, yeah. you know? And lo and behold, one day, one day he was of all the visits. And um, I mean, like, you know, I didn't speak to him until after the class. Obviously, I wasn't going to bother him. The guy's training, man. Let him do his thing, you know? And um, he was rolling in the gi, and I remember thinking, man, he had a good half guard. Yeah. He had a really good electric chair for a blue belt. He had, like, a really good electric chair. He was hitting it on everybody. And um, I was watching him from the side. I was, you know, watching all the, the main guys and kind of half an eye on, on, on Bourdain over in the corner. And um, I chatted to him very briefly afterwards as... Um, because believe it or not, my mother was a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain. And she was like giddy over the fact that I'd met her crush. You know, it's like, <laughs> she's like, oh my God, you met Anthony Bourdain. And I was like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and um, I chatted to him briefly, got a photo with him and just super personable, you know, like very, very nice guy. So, um, you know, I, I think the thing for me that um, it is, is a very sad, very tragic story. And I guess that is the, 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 the one thing that really kind of, Everybody was talking about it afterwards, you know, um, about the fact that it was a suicide. You know, let's not let's not try and gloss over any facts here. Let's call it what it is. The guy took his own life, mm-hmm. for whatever reasons, you know. And I'm sure that they were complex, they were dark, they were numerous. And you know, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to belittle anything that he was dealing with because you know I can't even begin to imagine what somebody was going through to do that kind of thing. But it hit home for me particularly hard because a couple of months earlier, I had lost somebody close to me via suicide as well. It was actually my first jujitsu coach. And, you know, I went from white to purple belt with this guy, Carl Tanswell, in the UK. And um, I trained with him from the early 2000s through to like 2010 or something. And then shortly after, I moved to Brazil. And we were very close, but I hadn't seen him for many years now because I'd been living abroad. I'd been living in Brazil, then here. And... Um, but, you know, we stayed in touch and I, I kept him updated as to my, you know, what my jujitsu progress was going. I always made a point of saying to him, you know, that you were the reason why I started, you know. I would never have been on this path if it hadn't been for you. And then, you know, for a man, and he was in his 50s as well, you know, or late 40s, early 50s. And, you know, to find out that he just couldn't bear whatever it was, the, the issues that he'd been dealing with, the anxiety, the depression, and so on, and, and he decided to take his own life as well, was, was really tough to hear. Yeah. And um, you mentioned there about Erin Hurley, that she has been doing some great work with an organization that she created. It's a 501c nonprofit called Submit the Stigma. And as the name implies, it is about submitting, jujitsu term, or submitting the stigma of mental illness, of which many people suffer, but not that many people are inclined to talk about. And I think the idea behind her uh, movement, let's call it, is to get people talking about mental illness, the demons that we may have, the issues that we're dealing with, to seek out help and to hopefully avoid situations like those. And so, I mean, you've got, have you guys, uh, you know, what have you guys done from the Smith the Stigma? Have you been to any of the events yet or have you kept an eye on what's going on? I, I've been seeing it since the beginning. I haven't been to an event, but, you know, I was definitely trying to help connect the dots and originally when Aaron started stuff. And I think she's doing an amazing job. And, you know, I think like stuff like mental health and even drug addiction kind of, you know, go hand in hand and, you know, talking about it and being openly. And if you don't talk about it and if you don't look for the information, you're not going to get help. So I think the more people are open about it and, you know, you're seeing a lot more of that more than ever. It's 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 good. It helps people, you know, like look at even one of our idols today, you know, deals with mental health issues, you know, drug addiction. And it's. Everyone knows it now. You know yeah. what I mean? At the time, it was just such a big shocker. We were like, what? It's almost a taboo to talk about, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, it's something that you just don't talk about. But now it's out there. So now people are looking at it and saying, okay, well, 
how is she dealing with it? What is she doing? You know, I mean, Anthony obviously had some issues and he was dealing with how he did it. But he was, I remember one of his Instagram posts that really hit home for me was like, he was like sitting outside of Henzo's with a jacket freezing. And he was like, you know, 20 years ago, I would have been waiting for something else. And in the middle of the, you know, uh, winter here in New York City, he goes, Getting but I'm a here. Fix of something yeah, different. exactly. Yeah. He's like, yeah. but I'm here trying to get my fix of jujitsu. So, you know, jujitsu could be the thing that helps somebody. Maybe it's not. But if you don't talk about it, you're not going to get the help. And I know uh, um, MMA just had it, had it um, went through some of this too. Robert Follis, I know, just um, committed suicide as well. I think that rocked their community. They kind of probably these tough, the toughest of the tough yeah. guys and girls, right? And see, it, it can still affect communities like MMA, still affect communities like the jiu-jitsu community. So that's why definitely uh, it's a good thing, I think, what Aaron is doing with Smith the Stigma. I've been to a couple of the seminars they, they've done. I know they did a seminar here in Austin, Texas at Gracie Humaita. Uh, they did a seminar one time in um, Studio 540 in, in uh, San Diego, California. Yeah, we were at that one. And uh, to tell a little bit about what the idea behind the seminar was. So, um, they just brought they brought a lot of um, they brought Homo Loba Hall, they brought Clark Gracie, um, Gutenberg, I think, was there. Kyle Terra. Kyle Terra was yeah, there. A lot so of big was, names. So it was a huge, huge seminar. I think they all they all briefly talked a little bit about you know just kind of how mental illness uh, affects their day to day life, uh, how mental illness it kind of uh, uh, affects their personal stories, so they, they all kind of uh, gave, gave a few little stories. Uh, Johnny Grippo was also there. Um, I, I remember talking, talking with him, and, and like I said, I think they're ultimately just trying to have a conversation, you know, and I think that's, what's, that's, that's their what mission. I, that's what I think is so great about the jiu-jitsu community is that it's, it's a personal community. It's small enough where we know our celebrities, right, and they mm -hmm. have this platform where they can use it to help. And uh, organizations like this, Submit the Stigma, and I'll Tap Out Cancer is another one that I, that I follow that I think is really cool. Um, I think it's great. You know, that, that's really the spirit of jiu-jitsu. You know, we're all here to help each other. How many people... It's a community. Right, exactly. How many people do you know who have said, jiu-jitsu changed my life, right? Mm -hmm. So jiu-jitsu has helped, I think, in so many different ways. And this is just another one. The website, by the way, submitthestigma.org. If you guys want to check it out, there's uh, all the info there. And I believe that the... Um the proceeds that they raise, because it is a non-profit, the, the money that they raise from those events, they go to the, uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, which you can also check out on mentalhealth.gov. Um, check out there, nami.org, N-A-M-I.org as well. Um, lots of resources for anybody who may have any doubts, any, any confusion, any issues at all, what you're dealing with, but I guess, it's, um, yeah, it's out there. If people, if people need help, it's always out there, right? And um, let's change gears. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, 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 it's kind of getting dark and heavy <laughs> yeah, around here, yeah. right? So, but uh, man, like the t-shirt I got on today. Every Thanks, Homolo. I got the everyday pohada t-shirt. What does everyday pohada mean? So, of course, it's a little bit unfair because Ricardo and I were uh, both, you know, Portuguese speakers. But pohada. When you hear the word pohada, what do you guys think? What does it mean to you? Go hard. Go hard, fight hard. When we went down to Brazil, we went to our, on our road to Worlds. This this term was being thrown around like all the time. Like we would ask, "What time is it?" Pohada time. Like, <laughs> everybody knew it was time to just get after. How it. was the so, training today? Yeah, exactly. It was oh, pohada. It was pohada. Yeah. <laughs> so for, my interpretation is just hard sparring. You're going, you're going after it. There's no, you're not taking any rounds off. You're not letting up for anybody. You're just getting after it. My interpretation, I think, is, comes from a, a little bit more inside of me. What pohada means. 
It's, uh, it's, it's about my life, pojada. It's, it's my daily routine, pojada. Is, is every day a pojada day for real? For real. I mean, I feel every, like... Literally every day pojada. <laughs> Since way back, I feel like. Just every day. No, no. Yeah, yeah I mean... Going ape shit, man. That's good time. <laughs> Let's do it. Homolo, uh, Homolo said that everybody knows that pojada literally means like... You know, it's brawling, right? It's kind of like... Mm. That's the literal translation. It just means kind of like all-out fighting. But, uh, and everybody uses it to, to mean like training hard. But for him, he, uh, he explained it on our website. You can Google it. Pohada flow grappling is right there. First search result. Everyday pohada means being intense in all aspects of life. Ooh. That's on and off the mats. It's not only about training hard. It's not only about killing yourself every day on the mats. It's beyond that. It's a lifestyle for tough people who don't complain and they make things happen in all aspects of their life. That is what... Every day, but a big means. part of it, part of it is killing yourself on the mat every day. That, that's a big, big part of it. <laughs> they go hand in hand, right? Yeah. So, uh, and then of course, there's the uh, the other buzzword in uh, jujitsu at the moment. I think this uh, people are a little bit confused by Bushesh's patch at Worlds, right? And what did it say? No Nutella. 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 Right. Why not? People love Nutella. What's wrong with Nutella? So, I've never been a fan of Nutella. So no, I'm, me I'm right there with Mushesha. <laughs> yeah, right. Wasn't the story that uh, Hensel Gracie was, I guess, sparring one time, and he was saying that he didn't, he didn't like guys when they when they rolled light, and uh, he said that's like uh, Nutella, that's like fake chocolate. You know, I, I'm I'm real. I want the real thing. I want to go hard. So that's that's kind of the interpretation that I got from it. Pretty much, yeah. It's a it's a it's a kind of a meme actually in 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 Brazil. It's like pojada. Uh, is like it's a, a specific word, right? But it's um, it's just a jujitsu thing. But Nutella is a thing in all like Brazilian society. You go on Facebook, you have Brazilian friends, you see Nutella all the time. It's a meme. It's like Nutella or Haiz. Now Nutella is kind of like the new school, the weak, the fake. You know, the mm. it, it, it's, it's, it's bullshit, right? But then Haiz is roots. It means old school. And you would have like a list of things, and it would be like you know, um, Haiz or Nutella. And Nutella is like the ultimate insult because, like, man, you're Nutella, <laughs> you know. So that's where that. Do you guys comes have from. Nutella in Canada? We got Nutella in Canada. Do you guys have Nutella fighters in Canada too? And we got those too. <laughs> <laughs> I even, you know what? I even saw Vitor Belfort post this morning, I think, and he was on his Instagram, and it's just a picture of him all jacked and tan, and he's like. I'm not a Nutella no fighter. Way. I'm from there the old go. school. <laughs> I come to kill. <laughs> What a badass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm allergic to Nutella, so Nutella can <laughs> fuck off. I hate it. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> anyway, right. I think to, uh, to close the show today, another edition of Sweep or Submit. It's uh, time <laughs> the sound for effects. It. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Sweep or Submit. And uh, just to explain, okay, because uh, we got two new contestants this week. So, you sweep means get it out of here, right? You submit means... Yeah, that's the stuff right there, okay? So, just gonna throw out some various terms and it's either sweep or submit, okay? Explain why. And the theme this week, jujitsu submissions, okay? Sweep now you think, you think, you think, ah, submit all of those submissions, mm -hmm. right? Okay, no, well what about footlocks? Sweep or submit? Submit. Yeah, yeah. Submit. Yeah. If it's like a white belt who's only doing footlocks, I'm gonna sweep that. <laughs> but if it's if it's like a Felipe Andrew footlock, submit. Yeah, absolutely, right? Good to go. I mean like footlocks there. Why ignore fifty percent of the body? Mm. It's right there, right? Sweep however, neck cranks. Neck cranks. Ah. Sweep. 
Sweep. Sweep. You don't like getting your neck cranked? No. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, it depends what you're competing in. It depends what you're doing. If you're an MMA fighter or you're just crazy brawler, I mean, if that's what you want to do. But I want to see. I want. I'm looking at longevity and training. I want to be safe. I want to be healthy. I want to train hard when I can. I'm an old guy now, but I don't want to. You know, guy wrenching on your neck and stuff like that. It's, nah, no nah, sweep. Just a quick story. I remember going to, in Finland. I went and trained. And I remember going to this gym and being like, hey, can I train? And they were looking at me kind of weird. They're like, oh, class doesn't start for a while. And I was like, oh, I'll just go in and train with whoever's here. And it was just like two MMA guys, both like shaved head, yoked MMA guys, you know? And they were just like, hey, you want to train? And I was like, yeah, you know, let's train. And I remember all they were doing on me was, was can openers. Oh, and they were yes. trying to can opener me left and right. Oh, and man, that were, sounds miserable. These big yoked guys. But as big as they were, I will not tap. To a can open, to a neck nape, to a neck crank. That's not safe. Sweep that shit. (laughs) Yeah, you get it out of here. Get it out of here. Submit. Submit. Twisters for life, baby. Oh no, no, that's not the same. The twister is a little bit different. Ooh, it's spine crank. No, it's neck spine lock. Okay. Spine lock. Neck crank. You jumped ahead on the on the list there because the twister was next. Twister, sweep, submit. Twister submission or twister roll or what? Whatever you like, dude. But submissions. Talking about submissions. Sweep or submit. Sweep, sweep. What? I mean, for gi, sweep. No gi. Submit. All right, cool, yeah, because otherwise Eddie Bravo never speak to you again. But That's it. <laughs> sweep will submit. Submit. I'm a wrestler, so I like that one. Nice. Sweep in oh. the gi, submit in MMA. Nothing better than a twister in MMA. Love yeah. seeing that. Cool. I totally submit. So, you know, twisters are freaking awesome, and uh, I will do it in the gi against certain people. This <laughs> 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 is a bullshit thing. I know it's a dick move, but <laughs> just, just, come on, man. Twister is like ultimate submission. You get one of those, yeah. you've got the right to jump up and go. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a full body submission, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like an arm. It's, yeah. not, it's not a toe. It's like a full body submission. I can oh, snap yeah. you in half right now. It's, <laughs> it's one of those yeah. ones you get there, and you're like, just so you know, yeah. I could have had you. And then you let yeah. go and go for a call or choke nice. That's right. Yeah, I, that's it. I was watching Seth Daniels' is, um, oh, yeah. He's got an instructional. Instructional, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Most hilarious instructionals ever. Grab it, just grab it. Okay, toe holds, sweep or submit? Submit. Boom. Sweep, I hate holds. Yeah, color belt as well means that, you know, they're not legal for you yet, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Pro Bell, I don't think they're legal in Pro Bell. Just brown belt, right? So. Sweep, unless it's Patrick Gaudio in the finals. Or no, semifinals, right? Semifinals. Yeah. Patrick Gaudio's toe hold, submit. That's one toe hold I definitely would not want to be stuck Mm-mm. in. Um, I'm going to agree with you, man. I mean, like, I'll go for them, but I hate my feet getting cranked on, so uh, I'll sweep. Sweep those shit out of here. But it's legit. But it's my least favorite submission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, rear naked choke on top of the chin. All day. <laughs> All day, yeah. every day, Pohana. That's move, what we're man. talking about, right? Ah, mm. uh, that's. <laughs> oh. You can uh, sweep to be a nice guy, submit depending who you're training with. Ah, <laughs> I like it. Submit. Submit. Sweep. Sweep. It's got to be clean. Underneath the neck, underneath the chin, both sides of the neck covered. Like I, I mean, said, hey, depends that, who it is. That's not my responsibility. Don't defend the choke of your face, man. Like, you know. <laughs> I, I had a training partner, I remember. I, I always remember a 135-pound guy, um, and I was a white belt. I was just coming in not knowing what to do, and he would just take my back, and he would just over the face, and he would just uh. tap me all the time with these with these cranks on my, on my face and stuff like Get that. Get the nose in there. Yeah, maybe. and I would be so mad at him, right? But, like, as years go, went by, I was like, oh, no, that guy's awesome. That guy taught me some lessons. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, that guy yeah. taught me some well-deserved lessons, and, and so, submit. 
Cool. Actually, I remember Braulio uh, showing a technique once with us, and um, he was just he was just hanging out, and he was like, "Man, like the real naked choke thing, like you put your chin down." And he was actually showing it that way that you compress the chin, you compress the chin down into the throat, was actually like an asphyxiation move. Mm. It wasn't just like, "Oh, pain. I think my jaw's hurting and stuff." It was mm. a legit choke. So. Boom, that's what I mean. There's a way you can yeah, do there it. Is a way. Yeah, there is a way. That, that's why I'm submitting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, and last one, wrist locks. Sweep or submit? Submit. Yeah. yeah. Submit the world. <laughs> wrist lock the world. Submit, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> Prison rules. Submit. I think if you got a nasty wrist lock, you you've got like a level of respect on the mat. You know. Um, I actually have, I'm still dealing from an injury from a, from a wrist lock. For real? Mike, they do. A, a, a Mike Perez up. wrist lock, by no the way. way. So. He's got those, man. He's got crap wrist lock. Bonus question for you guys. Mm-hmm. How do you say wrist lock in Portuguese? It's like cavaca or Close. maca. <laughs> Close. I don't, I don't speak, I speak English. I don't speak <laughs> You speak American, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Maljivaka. 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 Like you know what that means? Hand, right? Cow hand. Uh. Yeah, hand of the cow. Maljivaka. Huh. Doesn't look like a cow hand to me, but whatever. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I love the wrist locks, man. Um, Perez has got that awesome series. He put up a little video of him doing it the other day, right? That close guard yep. armbar, like the reverse wrist lock. Yeah. Man, I remember seeing Claudio Calasanz drill those at his gym in Brazil, and he uses those like legit whole series of oh, yeah. submission entries. And um, I mean, sorry, let me grab you right there. He kind of starts off and he goes like, boom. And then he goes crank here and he uses it for the arm bar. And then the guy defends and he flips it around this way and yep. then goes back that mm-hmm. way. It was like a whole flow. And I was like, wow, open my eyes. Man. Gotta shout out Pete the Greek too. And another- yeah, Pete the Greek, wrist lock the world. I want a t-shirt, man, and the socks. Because I've seen you producing those gear. I will wear the wrist lock the world t-shirt on this podcast. I absolutely will. We will all wear it on this podcast, I'm I sure. Will. So I, The guy that really made the wrist lock famous, even Pete will agree with this. Fredson Paixão. Yeah, man. <laughs> I did the video with Fredson where he talked about his uh, his wrist locking thing, and and he's like, yeah, I got a got a bad reputation for wrist locks because he used to break wrists, man. And like you know, you grab his gear and it's bang. Yeah. And- the submission you got to jump on, right? It's yeah. like not one that goes on easy. <laughs> he actually said as well that he got a lot of his wrist lock submissions by reading like old Aikido books. Wow. <laughs> believe that. Yeah, like, you know, really super old school techniques you never think would work. And Fredson grabs a hold of that hand. Aikido so got one thing right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, man, that's been fun. This has been great. And Ricardo, Try not to wait a whole year before you come back, please. Let's get you back in the studio more often. I'll be back. Man, we had such a good <laughs> training session, all of us, the other day. I know, huh? I know. That was, fun. Yeah, that was fun, man. Yeah, definitely. Really Austin's awesome. I love visiting the headquarters, seeing you guys training, and you know, I get to see Will and Reed with his golden locks now. <laughs> in person, right? Yeah. It's better than on the TV. <laughs> we got to uh, got to roll with the, the muskrat chase. Where is he lurking around here somewhere? There's, so, some, yeah. uh, there's some video footage of this coming? Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely got a lot of footage coming for uh, sure. Keep uh, in store for the, the vlog next week. All right. We had the Brambolo challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We Who won to, that challenge? I, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, guys, it's been, uh, been a lot of fun. It's been awesome. That's it for another week. We'll see you again next Thursday, 4th, is full of colors. See you later.